If you would, just pray this prayer in your heart with me this morning. Just say, Jesus, speak to me. Would you pray that in your heart? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And God, I pray for those who come needing encouragement, who need strength. Lord, that you would meet them in a special way. That you would speak to their hearts and you would encourage their spirits. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that today would be the day that they come to faith. That they recognize the God of the universe and that he has made a way for them to know know you through the person of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we commit this time to you and invite you to speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to make mention of a book called A Case for Faith that I think is an excellent, uh, an excellent writing. It's by Lee Strobel. It's written by a journalist. And uh, it's not for everybody. I, I personally love it. Uh, but it, it's some pretty meaty subjects about the matter of faith. It, it deals with some of the questions like, why did God wipe out certain people groups and those kind of things from the Old Testament that sometimes uh, perplex and uh, cause people to struggle a little bit. And so I just think this is one of the better pieces written on it. You can find books that are much more academic, and you can find books that are shorter, but I think this is certainly a great piece. And so they're back there. Uh, if you want to pick up one, uh, just make a $5 donation, and you can grab one if you don't have $5 and you still want one, and you'll read it, uh, get it. It's not a good coffee piece uh, material kind of thing or put on the coffee table. It doesn't do you any good there. Uh, so uh, if you'll commit to read it, please go get you one. Love for you to have it. Uh, with that said, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the subject of faith for the next four weeks, and I want to invite you and encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11. I want to ask you to take the 10-day challenge, and that is read Hebrews 11 every day uh, for 10 days. Uh, you can do it in just a few minutes, just a few, three or four minutes you can read that chapter, but you'll have a good understanding of the context. Uh, Hebrews is a, a great book. Matter of fact, if, if I had to describe what Hebrews is, the book of Hebrews, uh, it is the New Testament version of Leviticus. It's making sense of the Old Testament that in the Old Testament, there was the sacrificial system that God instituted, and now the New Testament, through the person of Jesus Christ, has been instituted, the grace covenant, and it shows you that the Old Testament was simply a foreshadowing of what was to come of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord, our Lord and Savior. And so it gives you a picture and it helps you to reconcile uh, the sacrificial system with the covenant of grace from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it helps uh, people. Matter of fact, it was probably primarily written to uh, Jews who had converted to Christianity to help them understand this is what the prophecy spoke of. And this is the system. This is the grace afforded to us by God Almighty and helping them to understand that, and helping us to understand the grace of Christ today as well. So, as you read that, uh, think about that, consider that, and uh, we will be trying to answer the question, what is faith, and how can I increase my faith? What is faith, and how can I increase my faith today? And as we talk about this, you know, there are a lot of different opinions and thoughts about what faith is, 
And uh, I just thought it would be good for you to get a picture of our children, of what children think about faith and what their view of faith is. And after that, we're going to talk a little bit about what faith is not and what faith is. But let's just get a glimpse of what children think faith is today, if you would, at this time. Okay, guys, what is faith? Uh, Faith is... It's kind of like a... Could you hold the camera? I just. <laughs> <laughs> faith. Uh, God. Faith is not thought. Faith is when you have courage to do something and you do it and you believe you can do it. can't do something, but then you believe that you can do it. It's when you believe something before you see it. And you're obeying God. Is that right? Or is that the wrong answer? Faith is believing without seeing. You can feel it and you can see it in your head before you um, see it. Um, Believing that something's going to happen and trusting God. Faith is believing in something that you cannot see, feel, or have any way of seeing it. Well, you can actually see it, but I mean, like, you can see it. Having faith is like seeing it in the future. All right, great job, kids. So, let me give you a couple of quotes of faith quotes that help us to understand in our own vernacular day. One of my favorites, of course, is C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, and he gives a great quote, understanding what faith is. It goes like this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. When I cannot enjoy the faith of assurance, this is by Matthew Henry, who is a commentator I frequently use, when I cannot enjoy the faith of assurance, I live by the faith of adherence. And then Max Lucado, I think this is a great quote for us today. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It is the belief that God will do what is right. And I want to give you that one again. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It is the belief that God will do what is right. You know, as parents, we can appreciate that because uh, just the picture of children. We, We hope our children mature to the point to where they believe that we're doing what is best for them, not what they necessarily want. Our kids always want certain things, especially younger children, five, six, seven, eight years old, have these views of what they think is right or what they need or what they want. But we hope at some point that they mature to the point that they recognize, you know what, mom and dad are going to do what's best, what's right. Not necessarily what you want all the time because you can't see the whole picture. Mom and dad have a much bigger picture of what is best and what is right. The same is true as God looks at our lives, as God makes, uh, gives us direction and leads us down paths, that He will do what is best, what is right. If we can trust that, that is a real picture of faith. The Bible tells us in Romans twelve three, the second part of verse 3, think with sober judgment, each person, speaking of a believer, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to him or that God has 
given him. The Bible tells us right there that all believers have a measure of faith. We've been granted a blessing of faith. The question is, will we grow that faith? Will we mature that faith? And then Hebrews 11.1, 1, as Tommy read earlier, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and then conviction of things not seen. So let's talk a, just a moment about what faith is not. Uh, because I think it can be easy for us to use that term. Uh, I mean, you, you hear that word all the time in different contexts. But what is faith and what is faith not? So what faith is not, to start off with, faith is not simply a mental acknowledgement. A mental acknowledgement. Uh, in other words, I just believe it exists. The Bible tells us in chap- James chapter 2, verse 19, that the demons believe and they shudder at the sound of his name. Okay, so you can believe, you can believe something exists, but that doesn't mean that you have faith in it. Okay, so let me give you an example. Uh, there's a young lady in our church. Matter of fact, she's a lot of times in this service right here, and she is a 17-year-old pilot. She flies planes. Okay, do, do most of you believe, I, I, I'm not going to make you do this, but at last hour I said, raise your hand if you believe that's true. It is true, by the way, whether you raise your hand or not. Uh, we have a 17-year-old pilot. Now, most of you can believe that. She's done her hours, she's done her required time, and she flies, flies planes now. But if I said, now, today, would you, like, uh, would you mind if we let um, this, this young pilot fly your children around for a while? <laughs> Just jump in. I mean, it's, it's not a big plane, but, you know, there are a couple seats in there. Just go ahead and let them jump in there and let them go for a few hours. Most of you would probably say no. Why? Do you, don't you believe she's a pilot? Well, yeah, I believe she's a pilot. Well, why not? Well, I didn't say, hey, I, I acknowledge she's a pilot. That doesn't mean that I'm going to trust her with my children, or even me for that matter. That's the difference between mental acknowledgement and faith. There's a, there's a picture right there, okay? Number two, faith is not simply wishful thinking. Yep, Sure hope so. That'd be great if that happens. Be good if God comes through. (laughs) Be really nice if God does that. I'm hoping so. I'm wishing he would. That's not faith. That's uh, naive optimism. That's probably a good word for it. A good feeling. I got a good feeling this time. (laughs) I think think God's really going to bless us. I feel pretty good. I feel good about this business decision. I got some faith. No, you just feel good. And you can conjure up a lot of feelings if you think about it enough and if you want something bad enough, but that's not necessarily faith, blind optimism. You know, I'm just going to jump out there and trust God. I'm going to buy this, invest in this, and God's going to come through. I'm just going to jump out there. I don't don't have any good reason. Can I tell you, faith uh, is not devoid of reason and sanity, just so you know, okay? Doesn't, it, it, there may be in certain times, and some people may think that, but that's not necessarily the definition of faith, even though sometimes it'll certainly be things that you don't want to do or roads that you wouldn't go down or things that are difficult for other people to understand. And another thing faith is not is not fatalism. Well, I'm just going to go ahead, and if God wants to stop it, he will. God wants to heal me, he will. You know, I'm, you know, I'm somebody in my family. I'm not, I'm not going on no diet, and I'm not taking no medicine. If God wants me to die, I'm just going to die. 
Well, that's real good, and then you just have heart attacks and strokes, and the rest of us have to live with you. Okay, so, but the truth of it is, that's not faith, all right? That's not faith. That is fatalism. Big difference, all right? So those are some things that faith uh, is not. Those are things that faith are not. Now, uh, real quick, let me give you a few words. I'm a little bit out of order here, Kent, but faith is, as we look at Scripture, uh, there are at least four different terms that the Bible describes as faith. N- number one, a confident expectation. When you see that word hope, hope, uh, the definition of hope biblically is confident expectation. That I have confidence that I expect God. Remember we go back to Max Licato's quote, that faith is ultimately not believing that God will do everything you want or what you desire, but that he will do what is right. Number two, conviction is another word used for faith in the context of faith. Number three, trust, that you trust. Remember, we go back to the analogy I used before with the pilot. It's one thing to say, I mentally acknowledge. It's another thing to trust and let your children go. And then the last word I think is very important is obedience. Obedience, that you follow through, that you actually use your faith, that you actually exhibit Okay, so the best definition I could give you would be obedience and persistent hope in the promises of God. If I wanted to give you a definition for today in our vernacular, it would be obedience and persistent hope. Remember, that's confident expectation in the promises, in the word, in the character of God. That, in fact, is what faith is. Now, I want to give you some Greek words. We're not going to get way into this. I actually had about nine and then... Somebody reminded me, hey, most people don't care about all those Greek words. So I've, scolded, I've scaled it back down to three, okay? And uh, I will go ahead and give a disclaimer that when we are, when we are looking at ancient Greek into modern English, uh, obviously there's going to be some differences. There's certain words in the Greek language that we don't have, and there are certain words that we have that the Greek doesn't have exactly. So we use a, a myriad of terms to try to explain a certain word or a certain aspect, okay? So... With that understood, also remember uh, the lettering system is different, so we're going to put that into English letters, and so uh, it was very interesting. I was going through my lexicon, and the way uh, that it suggested that I pronounce a couple of these words was not what I had learned in seminary, and then I talked to Matthew Harding, who's uh, studied linguistics and has his PhD, and he pronounced it different. So anytime you start translating from ancient texts like this, it doesn't always come through verbally or in a vernacular uh, that would be normal. So the first word is this. It's pistis, okay? Pistis, or pisteo. Uh, pistis, and that word means faith. And that is how the Bible generally uh, uses the word faith. When we translate the word faith, it's usually from pistis or pisteo, a form of this word. And pistis means, in <clears throat> uh, matter of fact, in John three sixteen, probably the most famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should pistis, believeth in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. Pistis means adherence to, commitment to. Okay, So it's more than a mental assertion. It's more than an acknowledgement. But it's a commitment to, an adherence to, an obedience to. For God so loved the world that whoever would believe. Okay, So that's the word pistis. The other word that we'll see in our text in just a moment is... uh, Hypostasius, okay? And that's the word we get assurance for or confidence. We're assured or confident of this fact, okay? And then the last one we'll see in our text is moraturia. And moraturia is the word we get our word martyr from. And it means 
testimony or witness. Okay? Now, with those three key words, let's look at our text here today in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now, pistis, faith, we talked about what that kind of faith looks like, is the assurance or the conviction, the hypostasis, of the things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So this is what faith is. It's the conviction and, and the confidence of things that I have confident expectation in and the conviction of things not seen. There's not everything that I see, but I am still live by that conviction, by that faith. For by it, speaking of faith, the people of old receive their commendation. Now there's the martyria. Marturia, the commendation, again, that's not a word that we can readily or easily translate today. It does mean, again, testimony. The martyrs who died for faith, they believed it so significantly that they died for it. And uh, that's their testimony. So that would be another word we could use right there. The, the, the people of old, or the ancients, your translation, matter of fact, that's the same Greek word we get our presbytery, or our elders from right there, of old received their testimony. All right? By faith, by pistis, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Now, right there, that word, word, uh, the word is translated. There's two different ways we see the word translated in Scripture. The first one, the most common one, is logos. Okay? If you went back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, was the logos, and the logos became flesh. It's the very essence of God in the flesh. It's Jesus Christ. When we use that word logos, that's how it can be translated. Christ, all right? Who he is, the essence of who he is. But that's not the word used in the Greek right here. In the Greek right here, it's the word rhema. Now, the difference between the words logos and rhema is logos being the essence, being this, the very being of Christ. That's logos. Rhema is his spoken word. It is the utterance. It literally means the utterance of the word, okay? So it's the logos uttering, speaking forth the word, So we see right here, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the spoken word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, he spoke the world into order. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, he spoke it. His word had the power to create the world that we live in. Okay, with that understanding, uh, let's uh, take just a moment to understand uh, chapter 4. Now I'm going to read, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 4. Now I'm going to read to you verse 4, and then we're going to flip to chapter 4 of Genesis 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And God commending him by accepting his faith, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 4, if you would, with me. Genesis chapter 4. Again, speaking about faith, talking about faith. And what we see here is the importance of what the object of faith, of what we put our faith in and how we demonstrate our faith. Now, let me give you another illustration just to continue with this picture before we read this passage. Um, If I were to stand here today and I I pulled out my checkbook and I wrote a check, and I wrote it for a million dollars, and I said, okay, the first person up here gets to have this, gets to have a million dollars. Most of you out there, 
for those of you who are somewhat uh, wise and understanding, you would think, he doesn't have a million dollars. And you, you, you'd be right. And I can't write checks for the church, so even if a church had a million dollars, I couldn't do it, okay? So if I wrote that check, you'd think, okay, this is something, this is a give me or whatever. You know, he's got some kind of angle kind of going on this, and I'm not buying this. And if I go up there, it's kind of a joke, and they're going to make a point out of this, yada, yada. That's what you'd think. I mean, if some of you don't think that, then I'd love to meet you, but nevertheless. <laughs> but what if Ross Perot, who's a billionaire, by the way, who owns land, lots of land there, and they're pretty much all the way anywhere, uh, he owns lots of land, lots of property. He's a billionaire. He lives in Dallas. What if he came today and he said, now, the guys, I got a check for a million dollars, a million dollars right here, and he had his name signed to it. The first one that comes up here, I'm going to give it to you. I bet you some of you would run up here and grab that check. Why? Because he has his name on the check, and if you know anything about Ross Pro, you know he can cover it. I can't. You get a piece of paper. <laughs> Ross Perot, there's at least a serious potential that you could have. I mean, it, it, the possibility, the power, the authority, the resources are there. All right? That's another picture of faith. It's not simply faith in nothing or faith in, uh, in fate, but faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith in God Almighty. Now, uh, this part right here, we, we've just read about Abel, uh, that by faith, Abel brought his offering. Now, this has been forever the old, the old question. Cain and Abel, of course, who are the first children of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. Now here's Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel are the first two brothers. We pick up in the story right there. And uh, we'll just start with verse 2. And again, uh, Eve bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain is a worker of the ground. So the Bible tells us right there, what do they do for a living? Well, Cain is a farmer. He's an agriculturalist, okay? He farms, he plants. And what does Abel do? Well, he works with livestock. He's a rancher, if you want to call it that, at least for sheep and for goats. And so one works with plants, the other works with animals. All right, that's their vocation. Nothing wrong with that, not a better or best. Uh, they're simply their vocation. So we have that understanding. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Uh, we can presume that Adam has taught his children to worship. And we don't know how often this occurs, but there's a point in time where they bring an offering before God. So what offering do they bring? This is before there obviously was any kind of monetary uh, any, any kind of monetary system. So what do they do? Well, Cain brings an offering of, of his fruits, of his vegetation. Now what's interesting, the Jewish Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament, it's not one that we typically would use or that we can assert necessarily that we know is correct, but the Jewish Talmud <clears throat> gives us the picture that this was not a high-quality offering. It seems to be something that Cain picked up. It's the picture of fruit falling off the trees and Cain picking it up as he goes. So it's the picture of just kind of picking up uh, the excess as you go, and he brings that at offering time. Okay, So there's the picture right there. It continues, the Bible says, and Abel also, he's bringing an offering of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So, what's happened here? Picture is, it's time to worship, time to go before the Lord. Cain picks up some fruit, 
He picks up some vegetation on the way, perhaps that's already fallen on the ground. He just picks it up, and he goes on. And he brings it, and he presents it to God as an offering. It's his act of worship. But the Bible says that Abel, what does he do? Abel goes, and he takes the firstborn. Now, it's called the principle of first fruits. The first was always regarded as the best, as the most precious as the most prized, the first son, uh, certainly the first wife. In those cases, uh, the first fruit, the firstborn of the flock, it was always regarded as the best. Cain, it, it does not use the term first fruits. Cain picks up what is available, what maybe even is left over. Abel takes the firstborn, the most valued. Okay, And as he brings it to the Lord, God knows. It's kind of a funny picture. We're still the same way today. It's like sometimes we think uh, God doesn't know what our first fruits are. And that's where we get the principle. Maybe you were taught this when you were growing up. The first check that you write at the beginning of the month, whenever you get paid, is your first fruit. And we don't really have that connotation that that's necessarily the best, but it's, it's a priority. And that's why we were taught to do that. Now we live in the age of checklist systems, so I, I think mine's the first, but I'm not sure what checks get there when the bank sends it. But nevertheless, uh, that was the picture right there of the first fruit are the first fruits. So we see that Abel has done this, and the Lord has regard for Abel's offering. Because it's an act of worship. It comes out of the heart. It is of his best, of his first. But for Cain, his offering had no regard. For Cain's leftovers, God, it's not that he punishes him, but he doesn't receive that as an act of worship, as an act of honor, as an act of love. You know, it's the picture that, I mean, some of us men have gotten in trouble with us before, you know. We like, uh, it's, 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 we recognize it's birthday or it's anniversary time. And, go, and, you know, and maybe I run to the closet and I start looking for something or I go to the first grocery store I pull into, you know, and I'm going, give me that. And I'm throwing it in a bag and I'm going, and my wife always knows. I don't know how she knows. Uh, I don't know if she's like scouted the, the 7-Elevens near our house or what she's done. But she always knows that there was no thought, no real intention behind it, and I get exposed, you know, and I can go, well, I got you something, didn't I? Well, you missed the whole point there, buddy. Same picture right here. And the Bible goes on, and it's, it's interesting what it says. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And somehow we think sometimes, you know, we're just like the children. We think if we get mad, then that'll make it all better. And people see how sincere we are, and they'll feel bad, and they'll accept our offer. Maybe if I get mad about it. It's interesting. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you so mad? Why are you angry? I, I'm not punishing you. I'm simply recognizing the facts. You, you're wanting me to think that this was really an act of worship when really you were checking the box. You're just going through the motions. So why are you angry? Why are you mad? It's a good question for us today. Why are you mad? Some of you today, when I mention first fruits and giving, this is even a giving sermon, but some of you go, I'm going to talk about money. <laughs> I don't like that. And maybe that's a good verse for us right there. So, so tell me again, why are you angry? And why is your face falling? He's always got to mention that, doesn't he? Why does the Bible always talk about that? It's kind of our spirit of Cain we all deal with, don't we? 
if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. If you do well, he's not talking about if you're a good boy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if you give worship, if you come with the right heart, if your heart is right, will you not be accepted? And if your heart is not right, since crouching at the door, it's ready to consume you. When that anger and that jealousy and that selfish, jealousy and selfishness enter in, it's when sin is beginning to take root. It's crouching at the door in its desire for you, but you must rule over it. You must recognize it. You must confess it and deal with it. So what do we learn from this text? Well, first of all, sacrifice. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3.12 that Cain's heart wasn't right. His heart was wrong. When we come to worship, we come with the right heart. You know, it's, it's not about the amount, although for most of us, if we have much, uh, to do little is an indicator of our heart. But it's really about the attitude of the heart. Are you here to check the box, to say you've been... Get it out of the way. It's not an act of worship. Not only that, the heart, the Bible tells us in Jude chapter 11. There's only one chapter in Jude. We put 111, but it's just really the 11th verse. The Bible specifically tells us that Cain's heart was for gain. He came expecting God to do something for him, to give him something. How can I profit from this worship experience? Many people still have that attitude today. What's God going to bless me with as I, as I go and do what He wants? How am I going to gain and capitalize on that? But Abel's heart was to worship. It wasn't to get, it was to give. It was enter in relationship. So, how can I, what do I learn from this? Well, there's some faith lessons from Cain and Abel I believe we can learn. Number one... It's not possible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that. Number two, our faith is demonstrated by our heart of worship. It's one of the reasons that it's important we come that we kind of focus. and We kind of let go and we kind of let, forget everything else and we just concentrate and we go, God, I want to worship you today. Number three, our faith produces our testimony. You know how people have testimonies? Because they exercise faith. That's where it comes from. It's interesting. I was reading an article yesterday about baseball. And do you know how many minutes of baseball are actually played in a three and a half hour, nine inning game? You know how, many, you know how long it really takes? Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. There's actually twelve minutes if you count the time the ball is being hit. It's in play. It's in field. Time that they're trying to pick off somebody. The, the actual in play is only twelve minutes. And we know in football it's really only 60 minutes, but yet we make that 3 hours and 15, 320. Our wives don't understand that. What is this deal? It says 2 minutes. We've been on for 40 minutes. You've been in a 2-minute warning. Well, there's timeouts and there are things of this nature, honey. But really, there's, it's not that long. And so the game of baseball is really decided in a couple of minutes. Just a few minutes. But there's all the rest of it. There's all the filler, so to speak. Isn't that the way most of life is? Most of life is the filler, but there are moments where we are to exercise the faith that we have been learning, that we have been 
praying that we have been living, and then the moments come, and they determine our testimony. You know, I love the, the old sermon. Uh, I believe it was by E.V. Hill. He said, you know, he said, ladies and gentlemen, one day you're going to die, and they're going to put you in a box, and they're going to put you in the ground, they're going to say some words over, people are going to cry, and then they're going to put dirt over that box, and then they're going to go back to the church, and they're going to eat potato salad. <laughs> he said, and the only thing that will matter is what was your testimony. Nobody care how nice your suit was, how nice your car was, what your house looked like. The only thing that will live and last will be your testimony. That's what Hebrews 11, chapter 4, we read earlier. I mean, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Cain's, or excuse me, Abel's testimony still speaks. So the question is, are you living that life right now? Let me give you three ways to grow your faith. We're gonna, I'm going to give you three every week. And we're going to have 12 at the end of it. You have to come back. Get the other nine. Okay? Number one, Romans 10, 17. Let's read Romans 10, 17. If you have your Bible, pull that out. There's one underneath if you'd like. But Romans 10, 17. And let me read this passage to you, or this verse to you. 10, 17. The Bible defines how faith is produced, how faith is grown for us right here. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me read it again. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So hearing in, a, in an age where it was spoken and there wasn't a lot in writing, that was specifically how they learned, through hearing the word of faith through hearing the word of God. In fact, uh, he goes on, and Paul is speaking here, and he said, through hearing the, the word of God, literally. So as we hear, that's one of the reasons we come together and worship, as we are around people of faith and they speak words of faith, as we listen to the spirit of God, as it speaks forth faith, as the rhema is spoken into our lives, it is increasing our faith is growing our faith. And not only that, but the Bible says for the Word of God. As we read Scripture, something miraculous happens. In the Bible, matter of fact, St. John of the Cross said, when we come and we read the Word of God, there is something supernatural that happens in the spirit world that we can't see or touch or feel. But literally, it is feeding our soul and feeding our spirit, feeding our faith. So through hearing the Word of God and through reading the Word of God, that is that's a pretty simple thing. So we go to the memorization of Scripture. What comes to your mind in those moments, in those 12 minutes of your life, when those tests come, those trials come, those opportunities come, what have you filled your heart and your mind with? If you filled your heart and mind with Sports Illustrated, then there's going to be something pretty shallow that comes out. But what have you valued? What have you meditated upon? Number three, praying Scripture. And I just gave you a couple passages. There's a lot of passages. Obviously, there's the Psalms that you can always pray. But Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through verse 7, just praying those Scriptures as Jesus walks through. Uh, Philippians 4, I think that's just a great passage, starting with verse 4. You just pray that and let it fill your mind and your heart. 
And that's when your faith begins to grow. And then when it's challenged, and when, then when the opportunity or the situation comes up, that's what comes out of your heart and comes out of your mind. So we go back to the, to the, um, the statement by Licato that we started with. Remember, faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It is the belief that God will do what is right. It's been about four or five years ago, and I, we, I've talked about this before, but it was just had a profound impact on me. Um, there was a man in our church who had brain cancer, and he was dying of brain cancer. And I remember we went over, his name was Kyle, we went over to a house in, um, in Lantana, John Sherry Dar- Darnell, and there were a few of us went over there to just pray. And we went over and we put hands on him, we laid our hands on him, and we prayed. I remember just praying that day and preparing my heart and saying, God, I really believe. I really believe that you can heal him. He's got three young children, God, and a wife. And I I just, for your glory, for your honor, God, I'm asking you to heal him. And I was believing this. It was a confident expectation. It wasn't a blind optimism. I wasn't into the fatalism. I had confident expectation. And so we go over there, and I placed my hands on him, and I prayed as hard as I've ever prayed in my life. I believed as hard as I could that God would touch him and heal him. And there were several of us that prayed that. And when we got through, I couldn't see any noticeable difference. Not that you could tell, but I couldn't see any noticeable difference. And then a couple of months later, he, he passed away. He died. And I remember thinking, God, God, I wanted this for you. This is not for me. God, I wanted this for you. God, why wouldn't you heal him? The truth of it is we come before God and, and He always hears us. Again, it's not just because He doesn't say yes doesn't mean He hears. But He has one of three responses. Sometimes He says yes. And the healing or the blessing or whatever it is we've sought occurs. Sometimes He says wait. Same principle with our children. He says wait and sometimes He just says no. And God said no that day. And that was hard. But it didn't change the fact that he still is doing what is right. Even though I don't understand it, I don't get it, it doesn't make sense to me here on this earth. But I have faith that God has a bigger picture and that he looks at eternity. And for his eternal purposes, that was the time. And it doesn't negate the fact that I should ask. I should pray and I should demonstrate faith. But my faith ultimately is not that God says yes when I want him to or when I think he should, but that I say yes to God for eternity and that he has an eternal perspective and he's saying, you know, you can't see. It's just like my four-year-old. You can't see it right now, honey. But no. No. I got a bigger picture and it's, you, I want you to trust me that I understand what you need right now and this is not what you need. I know it looks like it. It's what you want and it's what will make you happy, but I want you to know I got a bigger picture, honey, for you. And I see it all. And God Almighty sees more than I ever could see. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want, but that he will ultimately do what is right. Do you have that kind of faith? That's the saving faith. That you transfer your faith from what you could do or what you believe to what God Almighty has done, and you believe that he will ultimately do what is right. Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ like that. You've simply had the mental ascent. I, I, God, I believe you exist. I believe you did all those things. But you've never really 
pisteo, pistis. Put your confident expectation into Christ and say, God, I am trusting you to do what's right. And I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to live and die, and that he died the death I should have died as he lived the life I should live. And I put my trust and faith, and I, Lord, I give you my all. Come in and, Lord, save me, and I commit my life to you. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that today. To recognize that you're a sinner, you can't do it on your own. It is only by faith that God uses through the process of grace to save us. Have you done that? If not, I want to invite you to just recognize you're a sinner. Confess that. Invite him to come in and say, God, I'm by faith I transfer my trust to you. Not just in mental acknowledgement, but in my whole life. I give you my life. Come into my heart and be my God and my Savior. And I will trust you to do what is best, not simply what I want. I give you my life, O Lord. If you've done that, I want to invite you to just write that on the back of a card in the seat this morning. Just say, I pray that prayer. If you would like to talk with us and say, I've got more questions, if you would, just come come by our welcome room right outside this door and say, hey, I prayed that today. Or today, I, I, I need prayer. I need understanding. I need ministry. I need encouragement. We'd love to do that for you. If you have a prayer request this morning, you can just write that on the back of that card. If you're a visitor, just take that card out of the back of the seat and fill it out with as much information as you're comfortable. That'll be your gift to us. We're going to have one verse of this song, and then we're going to receive our offering. So as God leads you, uh, just respond. If he's leading you to take a step of faith, write that down and drop that in the offering box that comes by. If you're a visitor again, just fill that out, and that'll be your gift to us. And then I invite you to give of your first fruits today as we worship through giving.